I think it's, it's definitely changing a lot. Every day of my working life, I'm saying, how can we do better? I, I love controlling my own destiny. Stick to what you know best, and that's where you'll be able to see the opportunity. Welcome to Startups and Unicorns with Belinda Agnew. You're home to learn all things funding, scaling, talent, branding, and the billion-dollar dream. Finding out how to be a unicorn in a field of horses. Hear from industry founders and discover how to stand out to those who matter most to your business. With your host, tech startup fanatic, Belinda Agnew. It's so um, refreshing to see you know, an Aussie company doing so well. I, look, there's a lot of Aussie companies out there doing extremely well. But I guess a lot of the unicorns that have, you know, started from, you know, nothing and became something and then became a unicorn and then listed, you don't really see a lot of that happening in Australia versus America or Europe. And we were talking about this earlier off the podcast. So it's just so refreshing to see. And not only that, you've stuck it out the whole way through. Um, What do you think, I guess, the top three things you could say to a business owner or an entrepreneur, you know, first of all, you had to attract the talent and then you had to retain it. So you created this amazing brand. What would be the three things that you would say to create such a brand and retain that over a period of years that you have? Well, the first thing you've got to do is to focus on your customers first. Now, to us, our primary customers are actually franchisees, but it's customer-focused above everything else. A mistake people make is they focus on the money first. Now, obviously, you can't focus so much on your customers that you go broke. Yeah. But, but money should never be the first thing. You should always be thinking, what's going to make my customers happy? In our case, our franchisees, our, our customers out there. And if they're happy, then the money will come in eventually. And quite surprisingly, so as I said in the beginning, I, I, never, I never expected to have so many franchisees. I just wanted my, my franchisees to be raving fans. And the second thing is it's, you can never be complacent. Yeah. Every day, every day of my working life, I'm saying, how can we do better? Now, when we look at people who are in the field, like franchisees, because one of the things we do, of course, is we're always looking at different people, franchisees, franchisors, and saying, why is this person successful? Why is this person not successful? And the biggest single factor, the difference is, a person who's not successful, we have a word for them. It's a bit rude in gym. We call them LEDs, all right? What are they called? LEDs. Because we have, we have this thing called gold and silver, Bronze, oh, lead, okay? lead, okay. Gold and silver is somebody who's fantastic at what they do. Bronze is somebody who's can be helped to be very successful, but they need coaching. Lead is somebody who won't listen. And the characteristic of a gold and a silver is somebody who's constantly doing like what we do, saying, how can I improve? How can I improve? And you actually find that the best people do an incredibly good job, but they're always aware they can do better. On the other, the lead is a person who says, no matter what goes wrong, it's not my fault. So it's a franchisee who says, um, these customers complaining because you're sending me bum customers, they're bad customers, or your system of complaints or surveys is unfair, or I'm being treated badly, or I'm not getting proper support. Now, hang on a bit. Not getting proper support means they might not be getting proper support, but it's typical of a lead is that they're always blaming somebody else because their view is, I am perfect. I'm doing everything right. Anything that goes wrong is someone else's fault. And because they think that way, they never look at themselves. 
So that attitude more than anything else matters. And it's, it's a strange word to use in a business context, but I like humility, I think, is great. And one of the greatest things about some of our top people, like um, I mentioned Haydar Hussain, who runs the clean division, or someone like Sharon Connell, who runs Dogwash, they're people who are amazingly self-critical. They're always looking how they can do better. How can they improve? I'm not, you know, I'm not good enough here. What can I do about that? How can I improve myself? How can I find somebody else? But do you, do you find that those could be the people also never really content and they're constantly always chasing for more and more? Yes. And it's like, when does it actually stop? But you sh should never be content in business. If you, if you, I, I agree. I, I agree with that. If you're content, because I'm, I'm you that die. person, you know, but the, the problem, with, not necessarily a problem, I would say from the external side, people are like, B, it's an, enough is enough. You know, now it's time to focus on your personal life, have more holiday time, you know, find your husband, build a family, do all those things, stop focusing on your career and always wanting more and more and more because it's never going to be enough for you. So do you think it's, a, it's actually a really interesting topic on this because you're, you're married, you, you got married at 24, was it 24? No, I was married at 29, I think, 29, 30. 29, okay, I've got 24. Quite late. Okay, so, so it's, it's interesting, but I think it's different from a woman versus a male. So what do you say about those people that would say, Jim, enough is enough, stop chasing. When are you ever going to be content? There's a, there's a wonderful saying that I totally believe in, no other success can compensate for failure in the home. I don't believe sacrificing your, no other success can compensate for failure in the home. There's no other success. Being successful in business is not an excuse for not focusing on the home. Look, some of the most wonderful stories that I hear in gyms, and I particularly do this when I, re when I ring people, don't ring my veterans, and I ask them about what they were doing before. Now, sometimes they're making a lot more money than they were, which is great, but you know, often they're not. Often their income is very similar, but I ask them, what's the difference? And they say, I've seen my kids growing up. There's one particular case of a franchisee who um, I asked what he did before. He said, I used to be a manager with IGA, a retail manager. Mm. And he used to work very, very long hours. And one day I was going to just leave him for work. And my, my four-year-old son said to me, dad, I wish you could have breakfast with us. And he said, he, he was crying all the way to work. His tears were streaming down his face all the way to work. And he went to work and he quit his job and he bought a Jim's Mowing franchise. And it doesn't have to be Jim's Mowing, it could be anything. Mm -mm. But the point of it is, ever since then, he's had a totally different relationship with his son. And his son's now 14 years old. And, he, and I said, do you ever thank your son? And he says, so often I thank him for that comment, it changed my life. You see, his income hasn't actually any more than it was working for IGA. But he's able to see this little boy become, turn into a man. And he said, there's, there's nothing that could, could compensate for that. And look, I can't speak as a family man. I've been divorced three times, but it's not from my work. I'm just impossible to live with. I'm, I'm very, very, very 
difficult person. I love that you're self-aware. <laughs> yes, well, <laughs> my my current wife. We just had our twenty first year and twenty first anniversary last night. So I went out for dinner. Twenty one years since we met, and that's an absolute miracle. But she found me very difficult to cope with because I'm so obsessive. But at the same time, I have seen my children growing up. I've always have time for them. You know, I I drive my son, my twelve year old, to school, and I pick him up. And I'll have lunch with him today, so I, I have time, and we're very close. He's he's an amazing kid, and he's knows all about science and things. He's 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 weird, but he's a bit like me, I guess. But once I have that kind of relationship with him, so my my business, even though I love my business, it doesn't take over my life. And you know, when you talk about enough is enough, too, it's a matter of what you're doing it for. I have a I have a moral purpose in what I do. The purpose is to drive my research project, which I think can change the world in all kinds of ways, and it's also to look after my franchisees. But to do that, I don't necessarily have to work incredible hours. I probably only work forty hours a week, really. But what I try and do is be really, really effective in what I do. So everything I do is worked out. How can I get the maximum benefit for the least time? And I have to say, one of my greatest assets in business is that I'm really, really terrible doing just about everything. So I find good people, people like Cynthia, my wonderful finance head, or my wife Lee, who looks after marketing, or Rocky, who's like the general manager of the company. Of all these great people around me who do things far better than I can, and I just focus on the the relatively few things I can do well. There's a few questions I'd love to ask you because I did a a little bit of like a story on my Instagram and LinkedIn, and I said I was doing this today. Is there any questions that anybody had that you know they wanted me to ask you? And there was a few here that were really important um, based on your upbringing. Uh, you know, as a child, I think a lot of things start. You know, the the beliefs or your mindset start as a child on your upbringing, and I and I you know, suffer still from things that I'm still working on internally. Um, You had similar beliefs to me as a child with the mindset. You weren't really sure of where you were going. People didn't really think that you would go too far. You thought you were going to be a uni dropout or a school dropout. My question to you and what other people are asking is what was the pivotal, pivotal moment for you when you were a child to change your mindset to become the Dr. Martini you are today or at that time? What was that moment for you? Well, I'm a firm believer that anything you can't say thank you for is baggage. Anything you can say thank you for is fuel. So there's nothing I look back in my life and think there's an error there. Everything was needed for, for me to be who I am. Mm-hmm. And there were many pivotal points. I was, uh, when I was born, I had a leg that was turned inward and I also had um, an arm that was turned in. And so when I was about a year and a half old, I had to wear brace on my arm and leg to straighten it out. I also had a speech impediment and about a year and a half, I remember I was having to put buttons and strings in my mouth and do all these exercises. And so when I was four, I got out of the braces when I turned six uh, in first grade, no matter what I did, I couldn't read. I couldn't pronounce words properly. I couldn't get meaning out of them. And I went from the normal reading to the remedial reading to having to wear a dunce cap 
That's what they did in those days, 1950s, 60. And um, so I was learned challenged as a child. And my first grade teacher had my parents come to the school and said, I'm afraid your son is probably never going to be able to read or write very effectively because I wrote backwards, not be able to um, communicate effectively, probably won't go very far and amount to anything. But when I got out of the braces, all I wanted to do is run. So I said, he likes to run. So I would put him in some sort of sport. Well, I did do well in baseball up until I was 12, 13. When my parents moved from Houston, Texas to Richmond, Texas, baseball wasn't the same. I lived in a small, low economic area, a lot of racial issues. Baseball players wouldn't even show up. We wouldn't even have a team. We'd cancel. Baseball no longer was fun. I took up surfing. I was also able to surf since I was nine. Texas wasn't the surf capital, and, uh, but I picked up surfing. And I ended up having difficulties in school, and I dropped out of school. I left home when I was 13, and I was a street kid. So I lived on the streets. I lived in a bowling alley. I lived in a park. I lived in uh, cars that were available. People didn't lock their cars in those days. Wow. And I was a street kid. At 14, I hitchhiked to California to go surfing because I was wanting to go surfing. I was living at the beach sometime when I was younger. 14, I went down to Mexico, hitchhiked and illegally got into the country and went down to Mexico and surfed there. At 15, I, I went to Hawaii. I panhandled up money in Huntington Beach, California to get to Hawaii. I lived under a bridge at Sunset Beach at Kamehameha Highway, then a park bench at Iakai Beach Park and a park bathroom, and then an abandoned car, and then a tent. So I kept social climbing. And then I nearly died at 17. Uh, I had strychnine poisoning, cyanide poisoning. And I was surfing. I was a big wave rider. I was pretty good at surfing. And then as, as a result of the recovery of that, a lady found me in my tent. And if it wasn't for her, I probably wouldn't be here. And the recovery of that, um, I ended up going to a little yoga class one night to hear somebody speak. I never went to classes, but something intuitively told me to go to that class. And there a gentleman named Paul Bragg was lecturing. And this man in one hour at one night um, got to me in a way that nobody had ever gotten to me. And he inspired me to believe that maybe I could overcome my learning problems and become intelligent. I never thought I was going to be intelligent. I was surf intelligent, street savvy, but not academic and intelligent. I never read a book until I was 18 from cover to cover. What did he exactly say that stuck he with said, He said, we have a body, we have a mind, and we have a soul. And the body must be directed by the mind, and the mind must be inspired by the soul to maximize who we are as a human being. That was the term that he had. He said that we have to take command of our thoughts, our vision, our internal dialogue, our feelings, and our actions, and not let the world determine that, but us determine it. And that we have to set goals for ourselves, our family, our community, our city, our state, our nation, our world, and beyond for 120 years. So he made us do that. And that night I thought, hmm, with this new insight, 
when I was learning from this man, I thought maybe I could figure out a way of overcoming my learning problems and someday become intelligent. And I had to dream that night, a vision that night of speaking and teaching and, and going doing that around the world. I didn't know that was coming. I didn't expect that. Mm-hmm. That paint, I, I have that painted today. It sits in my office, a big painting of me standing in front of millions of people speaking. That was the vision I saw that night. And I uh, left there. I had the opportunity to be with him for three weeks every single morning, learn from this man. And then I end up hitchhiking, well, flying back to Los Angeles, hitchhiking back to Texas and taking a GED, which is high school equivalency, and guessing and passing and trying to go to school. But when I started to go back to school, I failed and almost gave up. And I was crying in the living room at my parents' house. And my mom came to me and said, what happened? So what's wrong? I said, mom, I blew the test. I got a 27 and I needed a 72 to pass. I guess I don't have what it takes. I guess I don't have, I, I guess I'll never read, write, or communicate. And amount of thing never go very far in life. And she said something only a mother could say at that moment. She said, son, whether you become a great teacher and travel the world like you dream, whether you go back and ride big waves and giant waves in Hawaii like you've done, or return to the streets and panhandle as a bum. I just want to let you know your father and I are going to love you no matter what you do, boy. In that moment, my hand went into a fist. I looked up and I said to myself, I'm going to master this thing called reading and studying and learning. I'm going to master this thing called teaching and philosophy. And I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to travel whatever distance. I'm going to do pay whatever price to give my surface love across this planet. I'm not going to let any human being on this planet stop me, not even myself. And I had this divine providence, human sovereignty match at that moment. And I got up and I hugged my mom. I went into my room. I got a dictionary out, which I still have that same dictionary. And I um, started at the very beginning of it. And I started memorizing 30 words a day and adding to my vocabulary and properly spelling it writing it out in a sentence, getting the meaning. And my mom would test me on 30 words a day, every single day, until my vocabulary was strong enough to pass and to read. And then I started to read and read and read and read and excel. And I really rose to the top of the class very quickly because I was more determined to learn than anybody in that school. And I never stopped. That's why I ended up reading 30,000 plus books now. I never stopped learning. And I love learning and standing on the shoulders of giants and sharing what I learned with other people. I can't think of anything else I'd rather do. Oh my gosh, what a story. I was like, (laughs) I felt like I almost was going to cry as you were telling me. That's incredible. Wow. What advice, what is like the top three things that you Mm. would say? They've got an idea, they've got a concept, they don't have money. Should they raise? Should they not? Should they bootstrap for a bit, see if the idea works? What advice would you give somebody? All right, two things. In digital, let's just say. So I I get approaches every single day via LinkedIn of people that have great ideas Uh and, uh, you know, they're asking for my advice, financial backing, et cetera. My first advice to them is stick to what you know best. 
So I find a lot of people that try and launch a business in an area they do not understand whatsoever. Uh-huh. Someone that's coming from teaching wants to do logistics. You know, I'm not kidding you. Today, this week, someone approached me. He's a, he's a carpenter from Victoria and he was pitching to me an idea about, uh, about packaging. The, the general message is stick to what you know best. Uh, uh-huh. You know your space very well. He knows his space very well. Stick to what you know best. And that's where you'll be able to see the opportunity and see the, uh, See what 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 can be fixed and done better. Uh, the second uh, part is uh, great idea by midnight, execute by midday. Don't think about it for too long. Start doing it. Just get into Just it. Start. There's a lot of people doing it. That. Start your business, and you can improve on it later on. Uh, but don't wait for perfection until you uh, until you launch your business. Mm-hmm. I can keep on going because there's like a million so different many. pieces of advice. Yeah. And every time I'm asked, I'll probably come up with something else. But uh, for today, these are the two. Stick to what you know best. Mm-hmm. Stick to, to stick to your area of expertise and try and find uh, you know the next big opportunity. Interesting. Um- I'm going to leave it at the last question, which is super interesting. You've probably been asked this before. I don't know. Let's see. So let's just say Mark Zuckerberg, (laughs) the founder of Facebook, he wakes up one day and he comes to you and says, Gabby, I want you to take over Facebook for a day and I want you to post one thing on Facebook, on all social media that will reach 7 billion people across the world. What is the one post that you would post and why? It's the second time I've been asked that question. Really? And you know what? It's so interesting. It killed me. I couldn't answer it the first time. And I remember telling <laughs> telling the guy that was interviewing me, I'll, I'll come back <laughs> to you on that one. So I'm going to come back to you on that one too, Belinda. I actually don't have an answer. But it's a have, very good question. It's, it's a good question. I'm going to have to think it's, about that it's one. It's interesting. Okay, let's, let's shorten it. Would it be about business or would it be personal? Like a personal development message for people value or would it be talking about your brand one message yeah belinda that's a <laughs> very hard message. question seven I, billion I don't people. have an answer for you i'm sorry <laughs> i'm gonna be really boring and i'm we'll just come gonna back to that i'm just gonna avoid that one okay okay we'll come back to it and when okay. you do have an answer we'll and now uh, we're finishing on a really really low note <laughs> But um, let's talk about, wrap it up about the catch of the day. Um, So for anybody that doesn't know, Gabby has uh, wrote this amazing book called Catch of the Decade with his brother, Hezzy. And all of the funds go to charity, guys. So where can they go to get the book? The book is sold everywhere. I mean, uh, you know. Obviously online at Australia's number one uh, book destination, Booktopia. I think the number one seller is uh, is actually Amazon. Sim- okay. Simply because so many people go there, but you can find it in uh, every bookstore around the country. As I mentioned, I just traveled into the most remote uh, remote towns of WA, and it's in uh, it's in every bookstore out there. It's That's actually amazing. number one uh, business bookstore on Booktopia. And I'm going to leave you with a few copies today, uh, Belinda. Thank you so much. And where can people find you on social if they want to reach it's, out? It's, re- it's really LinkedIn. You know, I, LinkedIn. Save, I save Facebook for uh, close friends only. 
Okay. Uh, but LinkedIn is for the community. People reach out to me every single day and I reply to uh, everyone. Uh, it's I've, I've really enjoyed the last couple of months getting daily reviews from uh, readers mm-hmm. telling me how much they uh, really enjoyed the book, how it, uh, you know, allows them to uh, fix their business and... Um, and, and, and move it forward. And uh, it gives us a lot of pressure, pleasure to, uh, to get such feedback. Vegan's been such a hype in the market. Why did you choose a plant-based restaurant? Yeah. So when we were on our honeymoon, my wife uh, and I were in Costa Rica at the time and she got really sick and had to get airlifted to hospital, oh, spent no. seven days in intensive care with a bad bacterial infection. From? And from, um, we think it was a coconut, like, which is weird, but, you know, you never know in some of these, like, um, developing countries where you might pick up something. Mm-hmm. And so um, as a result of all the broad-spectrum antibiotics, she actually had to get um, go onto a plant-based diet for a month because okay. she couldn't process animal proteins. And then she went vegetarian for a month and then she could go back onto animal proteins. And so because we were continuing on our honeymoon, I begrudgingly agreed to go vegan with her for the month because I thought if she was cool enough to continue on her honeymoon after being airlifted to hospital, I could go vegan for a month. Um, and then I think that was the first time that I sort of started to understand about being a conscious consumer um, how food impacts the world from animal agriculture on the on the environment and impacting climate. And so, um, you know, we're, we were only 33, 34 at the time and we thought, okay, we're too young to, we've got too much energy to go and just sit on boards and, and run around, but let's focus on a business that can actually make a big positive change. Mm-hmm. And even though intellectually we... We knew that we felt better and it was better for the world to be plant-based. We still were going back into some of our old habits because there was more that you felt like you had to sacrifice on flavor, on food, on convenience or even price. And so we wanted to be able to create a brand where you could actually um, be able to not have to sacrifice on any of those things and be flavor forward because at the end of the day, a restaurant solves a problem and that problem is I'm hungry, feed me. And so if you can make it it more attractive to actually eat plant-based because people don't actually feel like they have to have a protein or a certain different um, like animal product. Like a lot of the times people don't like chicken. They actually like the sauce or some of the flavors of it. And so if you can replicate that. So we're building a plant-based chain and our goal is to build over a 1,000 over the next 10 years. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. And so then that can then start to move the needle and create incremental change. And because if even if the world just had a plant-based day, you know, a couple of days a week, it would actually make a massive Huge impact in the world. Huge impact. Yeah. That's amazing. I didn't know that that was the story behind it. Now yeah. that I know it's that's it's incredible. It's just crazy. Like some things yeah. in the world – you know, uh, are just so serendipitous. And I think that, that her getting sick and us being on that journey as well has, like, led us to here. And we've met so many amazing people who are going to be helping us on In that journey. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I went vegan, um, I think seven, seven years ago now. I was in Miami. Very similar story. Um, I didn't get sick, but um, I was, wasn't really well. Like, there was something going on internally. And I, 
stumbled across this raw vegan diet and raw vegan, sorry, cafe. And the girl behind the counter, I'll never forget it. She was a chef, this little Spanish lady. And um, I was like, oh, that looks really good. Can I please order the the cheese? And she was like, oh, the cheese is, is vegan. Is that okay? And I was like, what is vegan? Yeah. I had no idea. And she's like, well, it's made out of coconut oil. And like, anyway, I had this like sandwich um, and I didn't feel anything after. I felt like I ate like a salad yeah. and I felt so good all day. And then I went back and had it again. And I felt this, I was like, this is like a superfood or something. What's in this? And then I was talking to her about what's vegan. She told me to uh, look at this video. It was called um, the, the, the best video you will ever watch or something like that by Gary. Oh, I can't remember his name. Gary, you, you could you ref- oh, I think I, I know oh, who you're talking about, but he's I don't. Like, yeah. And he got arrested for some things or something like that. He's pretty crazy, crazy vegan activist. Anyway, so I went vegan and um, I started to feel about a year ago that I'm missing out on food. So I started to put fish into my diet and I feel much better now. I'm starting to incorporate some eggs, but I'm also not feeling 100%. So I'm trying to go back to vegan, but it's extremely difficult because there's not much variety. Yeah. There's I, not much variety I, and it's I, so expensive. I, I think it's, it's definitely changing a lot. Like if you go back five years ago, it's it's chalk and cheese are where it is today. So there are so many plant-based restaurants popping up. There is a lot of products going in there. Like there's some amazing innovation being done and not only the alternative plant-based protein space, um, but also just, I think chefs becoming a little bit more aware because the, you know, uh, and I think as a, just as a big health trend as well, forget about the environment, which is needs to be yeah. thought about and f- forget about the animal activism for a second. But the other piece is just from the health piece is a huge driver because a lot of people are now sort of, there is a lot of research coming out about reducing meat in, intake, especially from a red meat or- Yeah, you know, like what the health and cowspiracy and all these yeah. kind of things. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I, there's so much information out there, but again, it's really hard to educate, you know, the masses on it. I, I don't yeah, think and meat that's will why ever we, go that's away. Why, like if you come to Flav, you would not know it's vegan. With the dynamic, though, like it's interesting to know your upbringing of of your father and yourself and and, um, your siblings. Do you feel like now in your life this is is who you have become? Do you feel like you're kind of taking on the mum role sometimes or most of the time and and the, the provider and the entrepreneur and, you know, the famous Sam Wood and, you know, that guy, like I, I feel like when you say the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, there's something in that. Do you feel somewhat similar to your father? Uh, I think um, yeah, yes and no. I mean, in regards to the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, I always knew I didn't want to work for other people. I wanted to work for myself and I've always kind of had that entrepreneurial spark in me that that I know I get from my dad. Mm-hmm. My uh, arrangement is I have an incredible wife who's the best mum ever and we have four beautiful girls and we both work but sort of very differently. But but mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I mean, look, I, I def- there's, there's definitely elements of that. Uh, to, to be honest, I sort of learn from you know i've I've had many very real conversations with my dad b about 
how he regrets how little time he spent with us before mum died. And right. it almost was this tragedy that opened his eyes to perhaps what he was missing out on. And so I've always thought, oh, I don't want that to be me. And I'm so grateful that I have a job that mm. I don't even call it a job because I love it so much, but I'm so grateful that I'm in this position where, you know, like I was up at six o'clock this morning doing radio interviews, but then I can take the kids to the park at eight o'clock, you know, so there's, because it's school yeah. holidays. So that I, I love the flexibility that I'm afforded. I love that I get to spend yeah, probably far more time with my kids than most dads get to. Um, and and I definitely think that comes from having those conversations with my dad and not wanting to necessarily go down that path and have those regrets. Yeah, and and when you say the entrepreneurial journey for you started at such a young age, what age do you think that happened for you? Where did the spark start? Well, I've I've never had a boss. I mean, outside of, you know, maybe hospitality jobs when I was 15 and at school. So, mm. I, you know, I, I remember, I think sort of, I remember going home to dad, I think I was 14 and and asking him for pocket money, which, you know, God, how old are we? Pocket money. I don't even know if pocket money still exists. But uh, I don't know, one of my friends was getting 30 bucks a week or something and I sort of pitched to dad, how about 30 bucks a week for, you know, he's like, what, what do you do for that? And I said, oh, I don't know, odd jobs around the house, which he said you're meant to do anyway. And as quick as a flash, he sort of grabbed me by the collar of my shirt and uh, I was still in my school uniform and threw me in the back of the car and drove me to a family friend's pub of which the publican was a good friend of his and he was the head chef and he took me into this commercial kitchen of this place called The Ocean Child, which was this rough and tumble, you know, Palmer's and Steaks pub in Hobart. And he said, you got a job for Sam? And he said, yep, I'll find one for him. And sure enough, you know, from the, it was probably on the Monday and by the Wednesday I was doing my first shift and earning, I don't know, $8.50 an hour. And, and I worked three nights a week till I finished school at this pub. Yeah. And, and dad, it was very important to my dad to sort of teach me the value of, understanding the value of money and hard mm -hmm. work and, you know, these things just don't fall out of the tree or, or come for do, from doing nothing. And so th those really important life lessons have always been instilled in me. I think then from an entrepreneurial perspective, as I became a personal trainer, at, I mean, I have had bosses. I've done a couple of gym, I've worked for gyms and that kind of stuff, but but, but you, you're really. essentially your own boss. Yeah. You're, PTs you're, are. PTs yeah, are yeah, you're a subcontractor. So I was jumping mm -hmm. from gym to gym until I really landed a great role at a gym here in Melbourne as a 20-year-old. And, you know, that that's sort of been it. I've worked for myself ever since. And mm. I, I love controlling my own destiny. I love sort of, you know, succeed or fail, it's on you. And, you know, those things are always easy to say when you've done okay in the last few years, but it definitely wasn't always that way, that's for sure. Thanks for listening to Startups and Unicorns with Belinda Agnew. If you haven't already, be sure to follow the show. X-Enabler is your one-stop tech innovation partner, creating unmatched digital solutions and turning tech visions into a reality. For more information, visit xenabler.digital. Get in touch with Belinda by following at Belinda Agnew Official.